0: This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, I'm so glad you've decided to take the first moments of 2019 to listen to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been practicing in Fayetteville, Arkansas, for now 26 years. Welcome to 2019, and I began podcasting a couple of years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who might already be in therapy and simply be interested in another mental health professional's opinion or attitude or technique or whatever. But I also wanted to reach out to those of you who may just have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety, or maybe you're going through a divorce, or you're just having relationship problems. I want to talk with you as well. And of course, then there are those of you who might just be curious enough to listen, but would never walk in the therapist's door. That's okay. Hopefully, I can have something to offer you as well. Today, we're going to be talking about the myths of depression, and there are a lot of them. But I picked 7 because these are common questions I get or I hear comments like this out in public. So, we're going to set the record straight today and talk about not just more common forms of depression, but some myths about forms of depression that aren't quite so well known. Many of you have listened to my podcasts on perfectly hidden depression, and I wanted to announce quite humbly, but also with a lot of excitement, that the entire book is now in the publisher's hand. I'll be waiting for the copy editor and the proofreader, and then it'll be possible for you to read if you so wish. That's probably going to be November of 2019, but I'll let you know if that changes. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com, and a little later in the broadcast, I'll tell you about their offer. Our listener email for today is about your relationship with your therapist in a way and what happens if you disagree with them. I'm going to give some advice about that and also she asks them other questions and I'll answer those, mostly about how to handle a very difficult situation with her mom. So I'm so glad you've joined me to talk about depression and some of the things that are horrible, horrible myths about it. There's some misunderstandings and downright myths about depression out there. So today we're going to answer some questions that others have asked me. Some of them may seem a little strange to you, but I hear them. They're going to be seven questions. They're quite different from one another. So here we go. If your mood can brighten when something positive happens, does that mean you're not depressed? One of the huge losses in depression is a loss of vitality, a loss of a sense of engagement with others, But there are certain kinds of depression where you may be able to smile and laugh when something happens to bring you joy or happiness. You can look and feel better for a while. But as soon as that event is over, as soon as you're no longer distracted and you're suffering with clinical depression, you'll return to a more heavy feeling or wanting to sleep all the time. Now, some of those senses of feeling heavy or being quite, quite tired and sleepy You really need to rule out some medical conditions like endocrine disorders, vitamin deficiencies, sleep disorders, or circulatory disorders. Don't just say, I'm depressed, and not talk to your doctor about other things that are going on with your health that might be a part of the picture. So yes, you can enjoy a birthday party or a good TV show, but again, it's about distraction. Now, this is one I hear a lot. Does bipolar disorder involve having almost two personalities and is the only treatment medicine? This one may seem really naive, especially to someone who has bipolar disorder, but no, it is not two different personalities. Don't get bipolar disorder confused with dissociative disorders where there can be distinct personas. People with bipolar disorder do experience mood swings and may look and sound different when they're happier or when they're more sad. But their personality doesn't change, at least not the way I understand the term personality. I think of it as more about your character. What I do is often suggest to people with either bipolar 1 or 2 that they download an app created to document mood changes. It really helps them to track when they're up, when they're down, and look for possible triggers. So this addresses the whole idea of, is it only treated with medicine? I would definitely say no. Medicine is often needed to stabilize mood. However, therapy can be very helpful to identify external and internal things that could trigger a swing. Everything from lack of sleep or disturbed sleep patterns to certain situations where you might feel extra stress or pressure. Working on skills and therapy to help with impulse control and managing moods can be very important. One thing I often tell my patients is to ask themselves, will this choice create chaos? And if it does, if there's any doubt that it would, then to wait and not make that decision quite right then. Again, it's that impulse control. But I also suggest really anybody with depression or bipolar disorder that they download a mood app As I was talking about before, so they can see what their moods do in a day, a week, or even a month, then you and your therapist can look at that together to see what connections there might be between what's going on inside of you and what's happening outside of your world. Is there a connection? Here's one that maybe you've heard of too. Does chronic depression, or what's now termed persistent depressive disorder, mean that you're in a bad mood all the time? (laughs) This used to be called dysthymia, and the criteria for it are pretty strict. You have to have had a sad or down or low mood, which is noticeable to others and to yourself as an adult for at least two years. So it might feel like you're always in a bad mood, or it might look like that to other people because you can't get enough rest. You may tend to look at the negative. That's part of depression, even though you want to think more positively, you may take things a little too personally or feel victimized or like there's a target on your back and life is unfair. But for it to be true depression, this has to be a change from your more normal functioning. You know, bad moods tend to go away. And if your bad mood doesn't go away, you might want to look at the idea that you could be clinically depressed. One of the phrases I often say about chronic depression or what is now again called persistent depressive disorder It sometimes isn't until the lights come back on, full force, that you realize how slowly they've been fading and how you've been straining and squinting to see for years. It can happen very, very slowly. And it's important to remember that therapy and meds are not always enough. You have to be proactive. And that, of course, is what's hard because it's difficult to find the energy. Sometimes if you've been feeling really down or like your depression is governing you, think about it, for two years, then it's hard to believe or even remember what it was like to not feel depressed. So that's where a lot of lifestyle changes or different choices in your life are so important to consider. Okay, another type of depression is what's called an adjustment disorder I get asked, so what is an adjustment disorder? Does that mean you're not snapping out of a reaction to something bad happening? You know, people with depression can't stand to be told they need to snap out of it, and deservedly so. That's not the answer, and compassion is what is needed. An adjustment disorder is depression or ongoing sadness after something very painful has occurred, such as a divorce or an accident. It's normal in many circumstances and is diagnosable because it's interrupting your daily functioning. But with an adjustment disorder, you can pinpoint when it began because it's tied to that certain event or experience. Now, this should not be confused with PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder, where the stressor is actually horror or trauma way outside of normal experience. And you often have flashbacks or nightmares about that where you can actually feel as if you are reliving that experience. Before we get to the other questions, I want to talk to you just for a minute about the offer from audible.com. I've not accepted to this point any other advertising or sponsorship on this podcast. One, I want your trust. Two, I hate listening to them. And three, I don't want to clutter up the podcast with a bunch of stuff. But when I heard from Audible, I thought, well, this is a pretty good deal. You get one month free trial of audible.com you're already a podcast listener and you get a free book and you can pick the book you want today i'm suggesting the mindful way through depression one of the authors is john Cobbett Zinn, and he is a wonderful wonderful teacher but you can get any book you want and just to let you know whatever kind of commission i get from audible i'm sending to st jude's children's hospital They are a hospital that cares for children with cancer and treatment and accommodations for parents. Everything is free. So I think this is a win-win for you, for me, and for St. Jude's. So I hope you'll think about it. All you have to do is type in www.audibletrial.com slash self-work. Again, www.audibletrial.com slash self-work. Now... I decided to tell you my John Cobbett Zen story, okay? He researches meditation and its effect on our mental and physical health. And he gave a meditation workshop many years ago now in Little Rock. And I went down to it. I was not a big meditator. I'm still trying to learn and be more mindful. But for two and a half days, all we did was meditate, right? So, and he's a funny guy. He's real down to earth. And I enjoyed it so much. I was incredibly relaxed, so relaxed, that when I got in my car to come back to Northwest Arkansas, I didn't think I could drive on the expressway. I wasn't anxious enough. So I had to stop and get myself a Mountain Dew. (laughs) But if any of you have a chance to read anything by John Kabat-Zinn, Z-I-N-N, it's well worth your time. He's written several books. Okay, back to questions. Does postpartum depression happen only right after the birth of a child? No, it can happen then, but postpartum can also emerge weeks to months after childbirth. And it can happen after a second or third child is born, although everything was fine after the birth of your first child. A doctor or therapist needs to promptly help identify it for the sake of the mom, of course, but also for the baby because so much attachment happens in those first few weeks and months. It can appear very mild but also be much more severe where a mom has lots of trouble feeling attached to the baby. Now, what's so important is a spouse's understanding and support. It's vital because the mom can shame herself so much for seeming to not be able to care about this child it actually happens more than you might think at least in its milder forms up to one in seven moms is what i read so watch for it especially if you have a history of depression or someone you care about has a history of depression okay here's another don't most women get cranky or more emotional right before their periods when does it become premenstrual dysphoric disorder pdd <laughs> As most women will talk to you openly about, yes, our moods definitely change due to our hormones. It's not something we like for others to use as justification for not responding to us. Oh, are you on your period? Like that should explain (laughs) my feelings entirely. But it is true that it occurs, not for everyone, but for a lot of women. When it's diagnosed as premenstrual dysphoric disorder is when it shifts and actually fits criteria for clinical depression. It can be very difficult for the women to experience it because just think, every month or two weeks, because sometimes it can happen mid-month, you are having to struggle with real depression and then it clears some and then it comes back. You don't get much of a break. But it's important to match it with your menstrual cycle because that can also look like either a cyclic disorder disorder like major depression recurrent, or even bipolar 2. So it's important for you to recognize, hey, it's mostly around my period or mid-month. Great information for your provider. Okay, and here's the last question. Can you get psychotic when you're depressed? Is that the same thing as schizophrenia? I get this one a lot. Yes to the first question. You can get psychotic when you're depressed, but no to the second. It is not the same as schizophrenia. Psychosis can happen with severe depression or with bipolar disorder. What being psychotic means is that you lose touch with reality. You may strongly believe something that isn't true, and that's called a delusion. Or you can see, hear, smell, taste, or feel things that aren't really there. And that's called a hallucination. Again, some of those are visual and some of those are auditory. But you again believe that you are experiencing those things. It's not at all the same as schizophrenia, which is a chronic condition that usually emerges in the late teenage or early adult years. Someone with schizophrenia may also lose their grasp on what's more real, but it's accompanied by lots of other kinds of symptoms disorganized speech or behavior, personality changes, maybe hostility or aggression, social isolation. And unlike psychosis, which can be temporary and respond to treatment, schizophrenia is a disorder that has to be managed throughout life. So I hope the answers to those questions clear up some myths for you about depression. Our listener email today is from someone who was asking my advice about what to do if you don't agree with your therapist about their suggestion or recommendation. So here goes. I really enjoyed listening to your podcast and it has enhanced my therapy experience by challenging me to think more critically about my own self-work. I'm planning on going against my therapist's advice concerning my relationship with my mother and I would appreciate your input and perspective on the matter. Here's the background information. If I had to summarize my childhood in one feeling, it would be fearful. My mother was explosive and angry all the time. Although she rarely used physical abuse, the emotional torment had a lasting effect. It was impossible to please her. Even my best efforts were often met with anger and yelling. I'm an only child, and thus was the sole focus of her torment. Her caring and loving behavior was seemingly random and intermittent, which left me with a glimmer of hope that if I tried hard enough, I would be able to get a positive response for her. I believe 18 years of living like that has created the extreme people-pleaser behavior that I have a tendency to exhibit today. My mother was extremely controlling, especially concerning my appearance. She would restrict food, force me to exercise, and was never at a shortage for negative comments about my body. She gave me diet pills and prescription amphetamines at a very young age, all the while claiming that she was hard on me for my weight because she knew I could never be happy if I wasn't thin. Even her harshest treatment and criticism came from a place of love, she said. The only real way she knew how to show love was through gifts and material things, But even these came with a price. I live very far away from my mother now, and the last time I saw her, she came to stay with me for a long weekend. I made every effort to accommodate her and ignore her negative behavior. When she realized that her usual tricks weren't getting a rise out of me, she gave me the cold shoulder until I asked what was wrong. When I did, she broke down in tears, claiming she was so disappointed in me she couldn't bear to be around me. She didn't like my house, she didn't like my job, and she claimed there was no way I could be happy at my current weight. I told her I was sorry she felt that way and made efforts to make the rest of the visit go smoothly. Even so, after she got home, she claimed that I ruined the whole visit. That was the last time I saw her, nearly three years ago. But last year, my mother began hinting that she wanted me to visit her. I knew I didn't want to face her until I was able to be open with her about how she made me feel. So six months ago, I confronted my mother via email about her behavior. I told her my history of an eating disorder that I had kept hidden from her. I explained why I never wanted to discuss my weight or appearance with her, and I told her that I know when she's trying to manipulate me and how I feel like I have to go along with it so that I don't upset her. I was open, honest, and calm. I used every tool in my emotional intelligence and communication arsenal. We exchanged multiple emails on the topic, and her responses were unpredictable. Sometimes she would seem understanding, others accusatory. I'm going to visit her in January for a week, not because I want to spend time with her, but because I haven't seen my grandmothers in many years, and they are too old to travel. I know that even though I've called my mother out on her behavior, I can't expect her to actually change in any great deal, and I'm mentally prepared for that. But I feel as though a new precedent has been set and that I will hopefully be able to stand my ground when she tries to control and manipulate me. My therapist suggested I stay in a hotel or with a different family member rather than in my mother's house. But I know that won't go over well with her. If I even suggested, I know she'll have a meltdown and accuse me of trying to hurt her. I would rather just stay with her and avoid the conflict. My therapist, and just about every friend I've spoken to about this, thinks it would be healthier to set a boundary and stay elsewhere. That might be true, but I feel like it would cause even more unnecessary strain. What do you think? Am I making a big mistake by staying with her? I know that I'm giving in to her controlling nature by doing so, but if she's not going to change and this will circumvent her meltdown and ensuing anger, then I feel like this is the better solution for me, at least in the short term. I know this was a very long email, and I appreciate your time and consideration. Of course, so this is how manipulation works. You want to avoid the anger and the rage and the inappropriate and way out of control response to your actions. But you know that if you don't go along with it, that there'll be a lot of trouble. But I hope this answer makes sense to you, because I've said it to a lot of my patients. Thanks so much for being a listener and for letting me know that it's been helpful to you. I'm going to sound a bit wishy-washy on this one, but I try to stay out of saying to patients what's right or wrong, unless they're about to do something permanently harmful to themselves or someone else. You've obviously done a lot of hard work on yourself, and you're understanding the manipulative nature of your mom, as well as her own tremendous mood swings and insecurities. And you've detached and learned to try very hard to steer clear of falling into the vortex of her emotions. Your therapist and friends sound like their advice is to carry that detachment or boundary further and stay elsewhere when you go see your grandmothers. They're pointing out the good things about that, the potential furor you're avoiding. You point out that there may be another kind of furor if you don't stay with your mom. Probably both of you are right, quote unquote. And of course, it's the fact that your mom is highly unlikely to take responsibility for what is the natural consequence of her past behavior that causes you to have the issue in the first place. So, I suppose your choice is which turmoil you feel more capable of handling. With my own patients, I always tell them that they're the ones that are going to be enjoying whatever good comes from their choices and suffering whatever bad or painful might happen. There will be sadness either way. I've had patients choose both. It sounds as if your main task is to try to make sure your own boundaries are as intact as they can be. I'm sorry you've had this pain and sadness in your life and hope that you've created other relationships that have been supportive and loving. I'll hope you got through to your mom. One of the comments that I've received when I've done Facebook Lives on depression and borderline personality disorder, which it does sound like her mother may suffer from, or some personality disorder in what's called that cluster But the comments I've received reflect a gratitude that I've talked about how difficult it is to be a borderline. It's not easy to be your mom. And of course, it wasn't easy to be on the receiving end of her volatility. Please take care. So I hope this will be helpful to others of you who were reared by someone's borderline personality disorder or narcissism or a sociopath. These are much more difficult and emotionally volatile personality disorders. Thanks again to this listener for writing in. Feel free to email me at askdrmargaret at com if you have other questions about depression or anxiety, and I'll be glad to answer them on air. I want to say that Two or three of you have really made my day in the last month with some of the very, very kind written reviews that you've left on iTunes. Someone said, by far, this is the best thing that I have found. I believe that mental health has such a stigma, and sometimes it's hard to find a therapist. That's exactly why I'm doing this podcast. Another says her insight and personal connection to each podcast allows listeners to receive thought-provoking tools that can lead to change in personal growth. I find that I can capture a tidbit of helpful information in every episode. And someone else says, very grateful to Dr. Margaret for her insights and constructive helpful advice. So thank you for taking the time and effort to let me know what you like. It's okay to write me about what you wish were different. So many of you have said you like it because it's short, (laughs) so I've tried to keep it short. But leaving me a rating or a review, wherever you listen, is so very helpful to me and keeps me incredibly motivated. There are lots of other ways of connecting with me. My website is DrMargaretRutherford.com, and I've been blogging there for now seven years, or this will be my seventh year. So I have a lot of posts. In fact, we're going to begin to filter some of those down or archive them or whatever you call them. And you can subscribe there and get a weekly newsletter with my weekly blog post and weekly podcast so you can keep up very easily that way. I've also begun a Facebook group that now has about 450 almost, I think, members. We talk about lots of different things. We talk about depression, anxiety, people write in anonymously sometimes who are not quite ready to be so vulnerable that they talk more openly about themselves in a Facebook group but I can enter those questions for you it's a really positive group very diverse from all different parts of the world and so lots of different really wise perspectives so I invite you to join facebook.com slash groups slash self work facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. So I'm glad you joined me today. I hope it's been helpful. Take very good care. This is Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.